Welcome to episode 12 of When Life Gives You Lemons, Go Vegan. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and this podcast celebrates and shares people's incredible stories of recovery after making the transition to a low-fat, whole-food, vegan lifestyle. And today is no different, except it's a tiny bit different because I'm excited to be interviewing Dr. Andrew Pennington from Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic in Sydney. So if you or someone you know has been living with chronic disease or type 2 diabetes, this episode is for you. Thank you so much, Andrew, for taking the time to sit down with me, and I hope this interview and your work help so many people to embrace a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet and transform their own lives and health, obviously. I hope you enjoy it, and if you have time, please subscribe, give it a five-star rating, and if you could write a review, that would be amazing because it means that more people can see and listen to this podcast. Thank you so much. Bye. Hello, Dr. Pennington. How are you? Hello, I'm very well. It's lovely to um, to catch up with you and uh, thanks for having me. My pleasure to have you. So today, I am so grateful to have you on the show and I just want you to give a bit of an introduction to yourself and your work so that the listeners can learn more about you. Sure. As you know, my name is Andrew Pennington. I'm an integrative and lifestyle-focused general practitioner who's recently started his own clinic. So I started a clinic specifically designed for lifestyle medicine, and that's been going just over 12 months now in Sydney called Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic. It really has the express purpose to try and use lifestyle measures for people to help them to prevent arrest and reverse chronic disease, because as you well know, there's an epidemic of that in our society. And there's many reasons why that's the case, but, but certainly one of them is, is unhealthy in fact, a huge part of it is unhealthy lifestyle practices. So the solution, of course, to that is actually to try and help people to fix their lifestyle. So that's predominantly how I like to work with people. But I'm, you know, being a holistic doctor, you, you do work with whatever people's agendas are and you try to help them in whatever approach um, they need. And yeah, that's, that's a bit about me. I'm married with two children, two boys who are active and keep us busy. Sanctuary Lifestyle Retreat, is that, was that the name? Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic. Clinic, okay, that sounds, I love the word sanctuary, it's a lovely, it sounds like a lovely place to go. So what would happen there? Do you have like stay-in retreats or do you just go for the day or how does, how does the clinic work? Yeah, so it, it's, it's a very much like a conventional general practice, so it's not so much of a retreat or anything like that. I refer people to, to health retreats if that's um, something that they um, would benefit from. But yeah, it's, it's much like a conventional general practice, except that I spend more time with people. So for example, the first appointment when someone comes to see me is generally an hour. So, um, and, and I actually, you know, will go into detail of lots of different things about their um, <clears throat> past history, etc. Try and figure out what's been that person's medical issues over the years, look at their lifestyle practices in a holistic manner, you know, their diet, their exercise, their sleep routines, their stress, you know, their family situation, the, the amount of sunlight they get, all of those kind of things that are part of holistic health. And, you know, I try and spend, as I say, an hour with them. And often that's nowhere near enough time, but it really gives you the opportunity to go a lot deeper with people um, with their medical issues and not just give it a cursory look. And, and um, you know, I, I love my colleagues in general practice and I've been you know, practicing short, quick medicine before too. And, and sometimes that's appropriate. You know, I don't need to spend an hour with someone who's got a cold, of course. But if someone wants to address lifestyle problems, 
you know, they've got diabetes or cardiovascular disease, it, it's, it's very hard to, to do that in 10 minutes. In fact, it's well nigh impossible. Uh, and the, the real way to change that kind of stuff is to really get into the nitty gritty of how they're living their life and what practices are healthy and what are not. And you need time to do that with people. And medications only have so much of a role. I mean, I'm certainly not anti-using them. There's definitely some uh, pros to medication. But to think that a tablet fixes a lifestyle problem is, is really very naive. That's a really great point. And I think often overlooked, people, people want this Band-Aid solution to their problems without thinking like, why is this, why is this happening in the first place? Exactly right. I mean, very much sort of integrative holistic medicine is about trying to get to the cause. Uh, and I, of course, my traditional colleagues try to do that as well. But, but I often think that they either don't have the skill sets or they, or they just don't have the time to go deep enough to figure that out. And I think when they do have patient after patient coming through who, who doesn't want to change their lifestyle, they're kind of forced into a model of prescribing medications. And so we end up with a, an epidemic of people on bucket loads of medications, which, as I say, I'm not anti in and of themselves. That there's no doubt there are some benefits to them, and I wouldn't want people to be going off medication without obviously you know, discussing with, with a, a doctor. But I think there are a better way in many cases to do it than by using medicines primarily. I think using good nutrition, exercise, adequate sleep, good social, you know, all those kind of things are part of who we are. And I think getting that right is what often is really the pathway to healing. So what would, if I came in with type 2 diabetes, like what kind of uh, recommendations would you typically prescribe for me? If I was willing to look deeper than if I was wanting answers to why this was happening to me and what I could do to maybe improve or alleviate some of the symptoms of diabetes? Oh, absolutely. Well, again, it's very dependent on what, what sort of specifics are, of course, and depending on the severity. So if someone came in, let's say, just newly diagnosed with mild diabetes and they were pretty keen not to be on medication, then I would be strongly talking to them about the role of exercise and the role of using plant-based diets. Um, and those things are, are really, really important. If you just do two things with, with somebody with diabetes, that's very likely to arrest the progress and possibly in, in a number of cases reverse that condition. Now, if they have more severe diabetes or much more established diabetes, let's say they've had it for 15, 20 years and, and you know, they've been on medication and they're just about to need to go onto insulin, and, and I'm talking about type 2 diabetes here, I should clarify, not type 1 diabetes. Yeah, that's a different kettle of fish. But type 2 diabetes, you know, it, it, you may need to, I would still work with them on getting uh, exercise, diet, stress relief, sometimes some supplements, different things that are going to help them. But then you're going to have to monitor the response. And in some people, the response is dramatic. You know, their, their diabetes uh, levels in their blood, which we call an HbA1c, would drop dramatically. They, they start to get side effects from their medications. You know, you've got to sort of pull that back. And, and you know pretty quickly that this person responds very well. And there's a pretty good chance that you may be able to take away or reduce a lot, if not all, of their medications, including insulin, I might add. In some cases, people on insulin can get off it. So that's very exciting to me when I see that. And patients love it. But there, it is also fair to say that, that you can have done some lasting damage to your pancreas by 
you know, progressive changes of diabetes and, and you may not be able to entirely get off your medications or insulin. It just depends on what sort of function is left in the pancreas to be able to secrete insulin. And there are ways to, to look at that and measure that as well if, if you need to. So, yeah, it, it's, it's a, you try to give an individual approach, yet you're using broad principles. And the two most powerful principles here are types of exercise that are, that are really targeted to uh, assist blood sugar stability. And then also using particular dietary strategies, which of which I think plant-based diets are the key here, is how we basically can reverse these conditions if that's possible. I was wondering, what would be the exercises you would recommend for stabilizing and managing blood sugar? Sure. So, I mean, I think the first thing is you've got to get people moving whatever they want to do. So first principle, get people moving. And, you know, if that if that means swimming, walking, dancing, boxing, you know, whatever, I don't mind. Any form of activity is better than no activity. And, of course, you need some level of medical input as to what the appropriate activity is for the patient, and it'll vary. But assuming that all activities are available to a patient and they have the capacity to do them, then I think high-intensity exercise is the best way here to try and give fairly rapid control to blood sugar. And I think one of the easiest ways to do this is interval-based training. And that's essentially where you either get someone, uh, and this can take various forms, but the principle is is sort of uh, medium or let's say a few a minute or two of kind of moderate intensity activity followed by short bursts of high intensity activity lasting 10 or 20 seconds where you go sort of pretty much 90 to 100 percent effort so an easy way i find to do that is if someone has access to a treadmill uh, to a stationary bike is they would you know get on the bike they do sort of two minutes at 50 percent effort where they're just pedaling along you know they could hold a conversation with someone but you know they'd be a little bit puffed and then, you know, once two minutes hit, bang, 20 seconds of you go full on. Um, and when you do that, what, what happens biochemically is that your skeletal muscle thinks that you need a hell of a lot more sugar. And it has almost an infinite capacity to be able to switch on glucose uptake out of your bloodstream. So it really does an awful lot to pull out glucose out of your bloodstream. And it essentially also sensitizes your tissues better to the use of the hormone insulin. So I find that, that that's a very useful strategy. Now, not everyone's going to be suitable for high-intensity exercise. Clearly, there are some people who can't do that for various medical or, or other reasons. Um, but I think that's a very, very effective tool. So, yeah, that's probably my, my key go-to. And, and what would the length of time would you do that for? You don't need to do it for very long. So um, even 10 minutes of that a day is plenty. So we believe that uh, it's about five or six minutes of high intensity per week. So you've got to add up those little 20-second blocks to get you know that sort of five or six minutes. So when you look at it, if you did, say, uh, 10 or 12 minutes of interval training where you got three or four 20-second blocks in, you're going to be able to do, if you did that sort of five days a week, you're going to get that time quite easily. It's really, you know, 10 or 12 minutes a day. It's not a lot of time. Um, and probably the best time to do it is not long after a meal because when you've taken in your meal, your glucose, of course, is going to start to rise in your system as your body digests your carbohydrates and fats. You need then to pull that sugar out of the bloodstream into the tissues uh, and your insulin is the key to do that. If you actually 
do some level of intensity exercise within an hour of eating and probably even within half an hour of eating, you're going to start to really hit the body at a time where it can use that, it can really get sensitized to that insulin really well. So it's quite a good good uh, time to do it would be postprandially um, do the exercise. That's very interesting because people often talk about, you know, exercise first and then have your breakfast as the optimal way to do it. So I've never heard doing it the other way around. So that's really... Both have a role, Corinne. Um, so I think I, my understanding is that some people genetically will respond differently to exercise. So there may be well be and, and even maybe some sex differences on that between males and females. I haven't sort of looked into the strict science on that. But I, I mean, any exercise is generally good. So because well, we were designed to move. You said you recommend a plant based diet. When did you start recommending this way of eating and what have you noticed with people who have adopted, like what are some of the success stories or the positive outcomes you've noticed with patients who have adopted a plant-based diet? I mean, I think um, plant-based diets are very, very useful in in helping to control many chronic disease processes. And and I think what it really comes down to, uh, and we'll learn more and more about this, is to understand the processes of how disease actually occurs. And they really come down to a few different factors, the sort of key pathways in your body of how disease happens. So they tend to be oxidative stress, which is essentially the layman's term of rust. You know, our body gets oxidized and it causes free radical damage in various areas of our body. And that sets up an inflammatory process and our body gets chronically inflamed and then that can essentially damage the pipes. So our system, our body relies on arteries and veins, of course, to um, bring the blood in and out of whichever organ it needs to go to. And that's, you know, that's the lifeblood, the life, excuse the pun, it's the life supply of, of the body's tissues. You know, you need to be able to bring in all of the uh, food and get rid of the waste. So if the pipes are healthy, the organs tend to be healthy too. And when you look at processes of chronic disease, they, they tend to have endothelial dysfunction, which is the lining of those blood vessels. They, they tend to get damaged and, and that's, it sets up an immune reaction. You start to develop plaque in those arteries by the immune system using various different uh, mediators, particularly the, the macrophages, which are the kind of cleanup cells. And they go along and they take cholesterol and they plug up these gaps that you see in your arteries and you end up with plaques Uh, eventually you know you can get a plaque rupture and then a damage to that end organ and that's the classic heart attack scenario you know coronary arteries build up the plaque you get a rupture of that plaque and um, the blood clot then blocks off supply to that part of the heart so then you go oh okay well what's all this got to do with your original question well the the point is that when you use plant-based diets what you're really doing essentially is you're creating an anti-inflammatory environment in your body and you're allowing the body to do its own healing. So um, you allow the body to get rid of the toxic stuff, stop the inflammation, and you're feeding it. You know, it's, it's kind of almost giving Drano to the pipes. It really allows them to clean up. And there is evidence of this in the, in the literature where you can reverse processes like coronary artery disease and plaques. They can actually start to be dissolved again and, and sort of you know, reuptaken so that you then have better blood supply through to whatever that end target that the blood, uh, the artery supply. So it works really well. And for diabetes, let's take that example. 
there's usually large vessel damage that can occur with diabetes, hence more propensity to strokes and cardiovascular disease. And small vessel damage, such as, you know, to nerves in your feet and uh, kidneys and things like that. Um, when you, again, get the right nutrition in, uh, you stop the inflammatory process. And plant-based diets are key to that. Because of all of the beautiful phytonutrients that you get in plants, you are essentially um, helping those blood vessels to open right up again. And I'll even go even deeper than that because I think one of the ways that this happens is actually through the gut. And clearly you need, you know, the gut obviously is part of digesting your food, getting all the nutrition out of it, and then utilizing that nutrition in where it needs to go. But what we're understanding more is that the bacteria in our gut have a huge role to play here. And they actually have a, a strong interface with the immune system. They have a strong interface with um, metabolic processes. So when your bacteria in your gut are healthy, it essentially means your body's healthy because there's a very strong symbiotic relationship between your gut bacteria and your metabolism. So I think we're going to know, we're going to learn more and more as we grow that the reason that plant-based diets are healthy is because they keep our gut microbes healthy, which keep us healthy. In it talks about the gut, I get so excited because that's just such a new Pandora's box of information for me. And I think for most people, it's one of those areas that we're just we're just uncovering more information about. So every time I hear about it, I think, oh my gosh, I can't wait to hear what the next person has to say about it. So it's 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 fascinating. What I was going to ask you is, people are listening and they're going to be saying, okay, so why? Why isn't meat, dairy, eggs, why would they be oxidizing, keeping the body in an oxidized state, inflamed state, compared to vegetables? Like why, you know, people are thriving on paleo diets everywhere. Why, why is meat, eggs and dairy seem to be deemed to be these bad guys all of a sudden? Like what, what, what do they do in the body that makes it oxidized and inflamed? Well, it's a very deep question. <laughs> it might be too deep. Sorry. <laughs> I would has, firstly hazard to say that I'm not sure I know the entirely the answer to that. Yeah. It seems to me as if our bodies are designed to use nutrients through plant sources best. But I think we also do need to be realistic and, and, and actually acknowledge that our bodies are adaptable and they can use nutrient, nutrition from other sources. So, I mean, clearly there are many cultures who use meat and dairy and eggs and do still thrive. It's possible they could do even better if they were entirely plant-based, so I don't think that would be in a lot of dispute. And we know this through the, the cultures that tend to live the longest, uh, having largely plant-based diets, if not wholly plant-based diets. So uh, I think one of the we, – we do obviously get nutrition from those sources, so I, I don't think anyone should be so – uh, militaristic to suggest that we don't that, that that's just being silly it's really about where we get optimum nutrition from but also realizing that some of those products meat dairy and decks can cause some uh, predisposition or pr promotion towards disease uh, and i think that's where it's probably not actually realized very well by the the traditional medical profession if you like or they don't really wish to acknowledge this because let's face it food is an emotional topic we all have an opinion because food is a huge part of life um, and we like to eat what tastes good to us so if you've been brought up eating 
a lot of meat and that's in your taste, then it's going to not be that easy to change that if that's something that you like and, and derive pleasure from. You know, there's a complex pharmacy. But as to exactly why meat or dairy or eggs cause oxidative damage and um, inflammation, I, I can't entirely tell you why it's that and not vegetables uh, do that. That being said, it's probably fair to say that there is a little bit of crossover. So we, we I think it's fair to acknowledge that oily fishes do have some level of anti-inflammatory behaviour, probably from the omega-3 content. But, you know, you could quite easily say, well, where did the fish get that omega-3 from? Well, well, they ate algae to get that. So, you know, pretty much most sources of meat have they've got their nutrition from eating plants. So why not go to the source and eat it straight first rather than eating it secondhand through meat? And so what have been some benefits you've noticed with your patients or with yourself, with your family from adopting a plant-based diet? Well, I think it's it's basically what we were alluding to earlier. It, it holds the opportunity to arrest and reverse disease. So I think the other, it's really important that people know that this can happen quite quickly too. So I've seen numerous examples of people with high cholesterols within a month of changing their diet, the cholesterol has dramatically dropped. You know, you're talking as good as a medication would drop it. And it's just from changing their diet. Clearly, if they've got a pretty good diet to start with, then they probably get a little bit less proportional change than someone who had a pretty average diet to start with. They get more more proportional um, benefit out of a plant-based diet. But yeah, and I've seen blood sugars normalize on numerous occasions. You know, people who are pre-diabetic become not pre-diabetic. People who are diabetic become not diabetic. It's it's pretty remarkable to see and and. Even some of the complications of these diseases can actually be reversed as well. I haven't personally seen a lot of that, but I've certainly heard of case reports from other doctors who've been doing it longer than I have where, you know, even to the point where people who might have had end-stage kidney disease are waiting a kidney transplant or a heart transplant, they end up not necessarily getting 100% function back, but, you know, getting off the transplant list, reducing their kidney, uh, chronic kidney disease from you know, final stage, more down, back down to an early stage where it's, you know, much more manageable. So you, you see some of these kind of changes in, in people when they adopt healthy diets and obviously other healthy lifestyle practices as well. For listeners, how long have you been open and how long have you been working promoting lifestyle medicine? I'd say, pro- I mean, most of my career I have, and I've been working as a doctor for 12 years now, but, but probably most intensely in the last four or five years. And how much nutrition study have you done formally? You get obviously a little bit of nutrition study in, in your medical school, but it's, it's not a, a bucket load. How much do you get? Because people often wonder how much you actually receive in medical school. Varies, it varies course to course. I can't remember exactly how much we got, but you always got a little bit as it related to the diseases that you might have been studying at the time. But I think it's definitely fair to say that it was underestimated in terms of its importance. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But I would like to dispel the myth that doctors don't know anything about nutrition. They, they tend to know something about nutrition, but do they know a lot about the power of plant-based nutrition? The majority don't. That's fair. And, and it's either because they haven't seen, they haven't been exposed to the evidence, or they have a philosophical difficulty with it with plant-based lifestyles. There's other reasons too, but but those are the two most common ones that I would encounter amongst my colleagues. 
But yeah, how much have I had? Um, look, most of it has been self-directed in the sense that I've gone to many conferences, I've read a number of journal papers, I've watched DVDs, I've watched you know scientific articles uh, presented on television. Um, and when you're interested in something, you know you immerse yourself in it. You educate yourself. Yeah, that's right. And, and I'll be doing further study as well. So I'm going to be studying towards the fellowship of the College of Lifestyle Medicine, which uh, will I, I hope to be able to gain in the next couple of years. And as part of that, I'm going to do the board certification in lifestyle medicine, which is an international recognition diploma in, in lifestyle-based medicine, and of, and of which you'd obviously do a lot of nutrition in. It's so important. I think a lot of doctors, it's just, just to see the person as a whole rather than individual broken pieces, it's so important. So, yeah, I'm really inspired to learn that more and more doctors like yourself are looking at integrative nutrition, medicine and integrative practices so, so that they can support the whole person that comes into your office rather than just the piece that's malfunctioning on the day. <laughs> Okay, one of my last real questions for you would be if you had to give people three tips today, where to start if they've got some niggling chronic illness or they're wanting to try out a plant-based diet, where would you say they begin? Really good question. I guess ideally they have some health professionals who really, you know, believe in and know how to use plant-based diets. So, when someone comes to see me, I would obviously do the usual stuff I would medically or the history-based stuff, and then I'll tell them some specifics for their condition, what I think needs to happen, and I'll give them that level of guidance. Then let's say they might say, look, I've never done a plant-based diet before. You know, how do I do this properly? Well, well, I'm not a dietitian. I'm, I'm, I'm not a nutritionist, so I don't sort of have that sort of quiet level of skill set. So I can give them some broad principles, but but I have a, a lovely dietitian who I refer to who's really up with plant-based diets and she'll take them through all the nitty-gritty of how to meal plan, how to get, you know, the right amount of protein, carbohydrates, fats, fibres, micro and macronutrients, and, and then obviously it's up to them. Also, sometimes these people, they just, they just need to get a hold of a good plant-based cookbook to learn how, how to actually prepare food that's nutritious plant-based and um you know tastes good uh so that's a good start getting a, a good cookbook that you can easy and that's i use a couple uh, i use a number of uh, options there and um if you want me to give you the specifics and off air or i'm happy to talk about it now if you want sure sure please so one of the books that i i use well i use a series called the revive cafe series of cookbooks which are really good nutritious foods based on a cafe in Auckland in New Zealand by Jeremy Dixon. And he's created a number of cookbooks there. Um, they're really, really good. Um, and I also use a book called Food as Medicine by Sue Rad, which was recently released last year um, and has won a number of awards. And, and it really, it's a really good sort of merge of providing recipes with also providing some science because she's a uh, an accredited practicing dietitian and she gives the science behind the different foods and how they have um, benefit. So that that's also a very helpful um, thing. So that's I think I'd start with cookbooks and um, advice from health professionals. Then probably if if they're savvy enough, you know, just joining blogs or social media forums that you know give support to people to to do this kind of stuff then that's a that's a good way to do it and then yeah just 
just doing it, just getting out there and trying it and see how you feel. Someone says, you know, I'm struggling, you know, I have all these cravings and I really want to eat the steak or the, the thing. Do you have any advice for people on how to push past that or how to keep themselves motivated to move forward for their health if, if they're struggling? Yeah, sure. That's obviously individual. Some people can make a change like that and bang, there, no problems. Yes, there'll be people who have cravings. So one way, of course, is to do what, what you do with a drug. You, you wean them off. So, you know, you might actually suggest, hey, it sounds like we might not be able to give you cold turkey from a omnivorous diet into a vegan diet so we might actually have to wean you um so you know you might start them with certain size amount of meat in their day and then we just gradually reduce that down until we're then sort of dropping days without meat and then increasing the dropping the days until eventually they can tolerate and it might take them a few weeks before that happens that's okay you know rome wasn't built in a day so sometimes these things happen and, and that's that's fine. Um, but also as well, some helpful strategies, it's, it's not dissimilar to what you might do with smokers. You know, you, you, you get them to uh, do something else. You, you get them to be distracted. Drinking some water is, is a helpful process. I actually find drinking lemon water is particularly helpful if they get some you know, lemon juice um, or squeeze a fresh lemon or lime into the water. That, that tends to be nice on the, on the gut. Uh, and just, you know, hanging in there. I think a lot of people do think, oh, my gosh, it's this huge mountain. I I can't. But when you just think, take baby steps, you know, you don't have to do the whole thing in one sitting. Like some people can, and that's wonderful. But if you can't, the last actually interview I released, the woman says, you know, if you have one flat tire, you don't slash the rest of your tires. <laughs> you know, you just prepare that tire and keep moving and going towards the um, where you want to, destination that you want to travel in. Exactly. And I think that what you're saying is 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 similar, you know, like if you feel like it's hard, just get rid of everything you know you can get rid of. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to provide provide too many barriers to people, you know. But yeah, it's it's the direction that you're going and and the journey that you're going to get to, not necessarily every single step that's that's uh, going to, you know, derail you. Okay, so if people wanted to work with you specifically, they've heard, their, they've heard your interview and they think, Dr. Pennington is my guy for when I go have a chronic illness, how do they find you? <laughs> You're going to give me a plug. That's very nice of you, Craig. They can go to my website, sanctuaryclinic.com.au. They're welcome to visit that. And, uh, or if they want to call me, it's 1300 723 070. Or if they feel they want to get onto my Facebook page, they can look up Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic on Facebook. And periodically, I put little blogs up on every couple of weeks. I might put up a blog post on Facebook, usually about some form of scientific article or some aspect of medicine that I'm interested in. And hopefully, my clientele is. But you can book through the Facebook page as well. There's online bookings through Health Engine as well. They can go that way and um, find me on Health Engine. Uh, and book in online to see me. And we also have a lovely psychologist at our practice who's really great with working with people and she can also work with those people who might be struggling with the behavioural change of actually making and implementing those changes. Maybe they're stuck in a rut mentally and need some help with that. So um, I will utilise her occasionally for that purpose. 
Yeah, so, and I'm hoping to add some like-minded practitioners in time. Oh, awesome. Where exactly, just for people who are listening who are thinking Sydney, but where, because if they're in New South Wales, but they might be further away from you, where exactly are you? So if, if they had an appointment, they could go and find your office. Sure. So we're in Waitara, which is just south of Hornsby. It's on the Pacific Highway. The address is on, on my website. But I will also, like I do see patients from all over Sydney and even interstate patients I have either seen if they're travelling or I will Skype them. So there is the possibility for that I can uh, do Skype-based appointments um, in a limited capacity. Obviously, you can't examine people when you're doing a Skype appointment, but I can offer that to patients who might wish to um, see me but are geographically challenged. Awesome. That is so good. So that was sanctuaryclinic.com.au for your website? That's it, sanctuaryclinic.com.au. 1-300-723-070 to phone you and get an appointment? You got it. And also Health Engine, online booking system and Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic at Facebook. That's it. If you just look it up on Facebook. So they can find your blogs, they can book you there, they can find you there and you're in Waitara in north of Hornsby? Just south of Hornsby, yeah. Just south of Hornsby. But, yeah, in the Hornsby region on the north shore of Sydney. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much for your time, Dr Pennington. It's been lovely hearing from you and thank you for your patience. I know I missed you last week, but it has been wonderful hearing from you and I'm so glad that people like yourself are out there spreading this plant-based message of hope and healing to other people. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me on and good on you with what you're doing. Thanks so much, Andrew, for taking the time to speak with me. And your work seems like it's going to be helping so many people transform their health from the inside out. If you're in Sydney, definitely go check out Sanctuary Lifestyle Clinic at www.sanctuarylifestyleclinic.com.au. Now, next week's episode is super special and close to my heart because it is with the lovely and inspirational Rebecca Stenor, who is my actual first multiple sclerosis recovery story on this podcast, which is amazing because I started this because of my own multiple sclerosis recovery story. So for me, it's very close to my heart. I really love this interview. I could have talked for 20 days with Rebecca because we just had so much in common and it was just wonderful to listen to her and hear her story. So if you know someone who has MS or you know someone who knows someone who has MS, definitely subscribe to this podcast so that you're alerted to the interview when it comes out next week and share it with your friends and family. And if you can, please leave a five-star rating and a review that's positive, obviously. (laughs) And just because this really helps spread this podcast wider to a broader audience so that more and more people can find out the incredible benefits of adopting a low-fat whole food plant-based diet on people's health. And for me, that gives people hope. And hope is the message of this podcast, that there is hope. And I hope that we can just spread that vegan hope across the globe. Thank you so much. Bye. See you next week.